Equality and fairness are some of America's most cherished ideals. Over 2.5 million retired first responders, teachers, and other government employees are financially penalized by provisions of the law, the windfall elimination provision, and the government pension offset that slashes their benefits solely because they spent part of their career in jobs that do not pay in Social Security. Today we're joined by Representative Abigail Spanberger, who currently represents Virginia's 7th Congressional District. A former law enforcement officer herself, she is one of the leading sponsors of the Social Security Fairness Act, which would fully repeal both windfall elimination and government pension offset. The bill currently has over 150 co-sponsors and is a top priority of the Fraternal Order of Police. I'm Patrick Gillis, National President of Fraternal Order Police, and this is The Blue View. Well, thank you for joining us today. But before I get started, I want to personally thank you. Um, Windfall Elimination Government Pension Offset is something that is so dear to, to so many of my members. It's such a frustration they have. And you have been uh, such a strong supporter uh, of, of fixing this, this uh, inequity in, in the uh, Social Security system. So thank you for all of your hard work. And uh, it's, it's just a, a, an honor to work with you on this issue. Our viewers and listeners, uh, tell them a little bit about yourself. Well, my name is Abigail Spanberger. I represent Virginia's 7th District in Congress. I was first elected in 2018, uh, re-elected in 20 and 2022. And I represent uh, the 7th District of Virginia, which is a great mix of suburban communities and rural agricultural communities. Uh, I grew up in Virginia. My father was a career federal law enforcement officer. My mother was a nurse. Uh, and I've always been focused on public service. I began my career uh, as a federal agent with the U.S. Postal Inspection Service. I did, I was on their dangerous mails teams. I did um, money laundering and narcotics cases. And then from there went to CIA where I was a case officer and the director of operations and uh, um, loved the adventures that I had there, recruiting assets and reporting back intelligence. Uh, Left public service in 2014 or so I thought. Uh, moved back home to Virginia, and a couple years later decided to run for Congress. Pulled you back in. That's right. <laughs> well, well uh, I, I will say that uh, that over the years have been a, a number of law enforcement issues, and you've been a, a strong supporter, being a law enforcement officer yourself, a strong supporter of those issues, and uh, we appreciate that. Thank you you know, I, I really want to talk about is something that's near and dear to both of us, uh, and uh, so, and that's windfall elimination, government pension offset. Uh, I have members that are just struggling. Yeah. They're struggling because uh, their retirement at a time when, uh, when you know, at a time when it might have so- sound like they were making pretty good money, uh, but now in today's inflation and all, they're they're just uh, struggling at poverty level. And one thing that is just a, a seriously a frustration it should be for every American. You know, we all know what fairness is. Our whole system's built on fairness, but there's an inequity in the Social Security law for public employees mm-hmm. who did not pay into a Social Security system and then moved over to uh, a profession which they did pay into Social Security and got the qualifying points just like every other American. But because they're a pu- were a public employee with a public pension, somehow the system thinks that they're getting wealthy off of the off of public interest. And in reality, they pay for both of these. They put the time in, they worked, uh, and they received the this, this same benefits. Any other American, if they paid into a 401k or yes. another re- retirement system, they, they're entitled to 100% of that. But public employees are not. Um, what is your passion? What, what pulls you into this? Why are you, you know, why is this so dear to you? 
this is an issue of basic fairness. And this is an issue that first was uh, raised with me back in 2017. I was a new candidate and I was meeting with a group of retired federal employees uh, representing Virginia's seventh district. I represent a lot of retired federal employees, many other public servants in various sectors as well. But I was meeting with this group of retired uh, federal employees and this woman was a widow and and stood up and told me her story about how the windfall elimination provision has impacted her, how dealing with the passing of her husband um, and trying to make sense of what uh, earned benefits she's receiving or not receiving, um, how the WEP really created um, just uh, challenges for her and she didn't understand it. And I remember thinking that just doesn't make sense. And I thought perhaps there was some misunderstanding or perhaps, and I said, oh ma'am, like what you're describing to me is so unfair. Let me look into this. And I looked into it and I realized, oh, there was no misunderstanding. Yeah. It is really wildly unfair. And with the government pension offset, when we think about, you know, and this is certainly your members, FOP members, um, but you know, this impacts teachers and firefighters and public servants across the board. And for so many law enforcement officers, you know, many of whom retire relatively young, um, and so then do pursue, uh, you know, a second chapter in their working life, and they pay into social security and they think it's going to be there because they're paying yeah. into it like everyone else. And then when they go to retire, they realize that that's just not the case. And it's so basic to me as an issue that just doesn't make sense. And maybe at one point in time, there was a justification that somebody years ago could explain to me, but in the here and now in the actual reality of how people are impacted, it's just not fair. It is literally, do people have a right to the their own money that they pay into the system? And I would argue, yes. Yeah, I, uh, I was I was talking to someone quite a few years ago, and we were talking about. Uh, I was trying to explain to him the inequity in this law, and I, it, it just I think the problem is is we all kind of want to look through things, look at things through a prism of fairness. Yeah. And, and it was just wasn't rationalizing. They, they just couldn't figure out what I was trying to explain. So let me, let me put it in simple terms. We both go to the grocery store. You're in front of me and you're not a public employee and I'm a public employee. We both buy a loaf of bread. When you walk up, you pay for the loaf of bread and you walk away with the, po the loaf of bread. Then it's when it's my turn, I'm the second person in line buying a same loaf of bread. And he said, same price. But uh, before they let me leave, they take 60% of my loaf away. So tell me where the fairness of that is. Why? Because I was a public employee, I only get 40% of that loaf of bread, and I'm paying the same price as everyone else. And if you had, let's say you're a public employee for 25 years and then spend some time uh, working outside of uh, the public yeah. sector, you know, if you have multi-employers throughout your career, as so many people do today, and you pay into this 401k, and maybe if you're a federal employee, you pay into your TSP. Nobody down the line is saying, oh, actually, because you have this 401k, we're taking away from this 401k, right? right? Um, and and it's just <laughs> it's ridiculous. You're right. There, there's no simple way right? to, yeah. to, to, to this. I, I remember during- uh, And just like, if I may yeah. interrupt, and just like me with that woman where I actually thought- there must be something this woman is misunderstanding yeah. about her own benefits because it it was inconceivable to me that the situation she was describing was real. Um, and I think that that's, uh, you know, that's why we've been able to get so much support on Capitol Hill. We had to keep it going. And I know we'll talk about that. 
But when we get someone's ear long enough to say, let me explain what this really means, then these light bulbs, not just, they don't just go off. They start like flashing and people say like, that's crazy. Well, yeah. yeah. And so that's how we've been able to build support. Um, you know, we need to keep, keep that moving, obviously. Well, let's talk about that support. Yeah. We did, uh, did extremely well last year. First time, you know, we're really having an asserted effort focusing our energy. Uh, would have had a little earlier, but COVID kind of slowed us down That's a little right. bit. Um, but we've had a sound strategy working with your office, working with uh, with uh, Representative Davis's office, and uh, and trying to come up with a strategy to, to build a, a wave yeah. uh, of trying to get that support and try and trigger the rule in the House to to move it to, to the floor. Because it, it doesn't matter. This is not a Democrat or Republican issue, yeah. because for multiple uh, changes in power, we've, we've been at the same place. And getting co-sponsors but not able to get it across the finish line or even get it a vote in the House. Um, last year was promising. Yeah. We got to 305 total co-sponsors. We need 290 to trigger a rule. Uh, help our, our listeners and viewers understand what what happened last year, how we were able to get, get it to the point where uh, the House had to take some type of action, and where did we get derailed along the way? So the, the positive things that I'll highlight and then the points that we can learn from, I, I think you were, the, the positive points are we had, the, the rule is if you have 290 co-sponsors, so that means broad bipartisan support. Right. If you have 290 co-sponsors, you have to move it to committee action or a floor vote. Um, and, and ultimately, um, we got more than 300. So 300 mem- 305 members of Congress agree on anything is unbelievable. Right. But again, this is an issue of fairness. What we got right was, I mean, Rodney Davis, me, Garrett Graves, um, and many other members did a lot of advocacy. Our teams did advocacy. And importantly, your members and uh you know, public employees and retiree groups did tremendous advocacy because as we discussed, this is a complicated issue. And so where we did face challenges in the early days of uh, 2021, Congress wasn't functioning in the same normal sense in terms of us being able to look each other in the eyes. We didn't have lots of time on the floor because of COVID provisions. Um, And even advocacy days, there were a lot of Zoom meetings as opposed to giant fly-ins. And so what we saw was in... 2022, we were really able to put our foot on the gas in terms of getting more co-sponsors because we were having those meetings and explaining to members and their teams and their staffs what this is. Um, and that's why we saw those numbers go. The The good news is, so Rodney's left Congress, retired from Congress. Garrett Graves right. has taken up, well, he's always been heavily involved, but now he's uh, leading the effort. Um, and I'm so excited to be working with him. The two of us, I think, are a passionate pair on this issue. Um, and we already are up to 177 co-sponsors, right? And so it's, the uh, I guess, <laughs> very two months into Congress, 177, yeah. we are rocking and rolling. Um, and where I think we can learn from last year is we got to that 290 number really so late in the Congress, right? Each Congress is that two-year term. You got to fund the government. You got to do this. We had yeah. elections, We blah, 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 blah. And so it's so vital that we continue to increase our co-sponsors, get to 290 or back to 305 or beyond, yeah. um, and do it earlier so that we can never hear an excuse from anyone that we ran out of time or this bill takes priority, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, one of the, uh, I guess one of the big challenges, and when it, when it finally uh, went to the committee, the committee had their, their, their hearing on it, uh, 
they put a lot of, uh, I guess, a lot of testimony into the record to yeah. make it sound like they support this, but at the same time, really weren't willing to do that. And one of the things that uh, seemed to be a big challenge was where does the money come from to make this fix? And, and look, it's a valid question. A valid question is if you're going to make changes to the Social Security system, it's going to have a, a financial impact to it. We, we need to, to be realistic with it. But I would argue that I could tell you exactly where the money's coming from. It's coming what from people the people paid who paid for it. Yeah. <laughs> We're not asking you to yeah. go find money. We're asking you to, to do what's fair. And for the people who paid into stuff, we don't want, you know, I, I think if you talk to people in Social Security that, that have been affected by this, they're not looking for anything more than what's fair. That's right. Uh, what they what they should be eligible for, just like every other American. And and this is part of the challenge that you're raising. And, and one of the reasons that I think we, we weren't able to get it across the finish line last Congress is it was almost as though we were, if we're having conversations about making changes to Social Security, and, you know, in this case, the change is allowing people to actually get their own money that they paid into right. Social Security. But if we're kind of touching Social Security, then we have to contend with, this was kind of the general premise, we have to contend with the fact that you know, Social Security long term, you know, there's uh, long term concerns about its sustainability. We have to have kind of earnest conversations about how do we ensure it is there right. decades, years, years and years and years into the future. But for me, you know, those are two conversations that are both necessary, but they don't have to happen at the They're same time. Right. And and importantly, you know, Congress needs to ensure the long-term viability and strength of Social Security. But having that comprehensive conversation can happen and should happen separate from making sure that a retired teacher in California or a retired firefighter in Texas or a retired police officer in New Hampshire or a retired federal employee in Virginia can actually have access to the Social Security that they paid into the system. No doubt. And you're right. It is your responsibility as yeah. a member of Congress to make sure that the Social Security system is is strong and that it is it is viable. But it shouldn't be at the backs of 2.5 million public employees across this country who, who are being penalized just simply because they were public servants. Well, and the weapon GPO is not single-handedly you know, <laughs> right. making this social security system function. Not even, not um, even a fraction. Not, not even a fraction of it. So it, it's kind of, it's, if, if we're talking about, you know, how do we address this one issue and to say, well, you know, there's this gigantic monumental issue we have to contend with. Therefore this one related subset, we can't even touch, you know, that, that, I understand the mentality that people have of thinking, well, we, if we're going to contend with weapon GPO, we need to contend with the entire system. Right. Um, but the reality is that 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 hurts retirees. Um, and while we're, you know, we got to work hard to you know protect the long term viability of Social Security, like we shouldn't have that widow in Virginia or a retired police officer in, you know, in anywhere else across the country or a retired teacher, we shouldn't have them negatively impacted mm -hmm. because there's another conversation that, that Congress has to have. You know, listen to the horror stories of people affected by, by, uh, by these provisions. It really is, you know, heartbreaking to hear people that, are, that it's struggling, trying to make a, make a decision whether they buy medicine or whether they buy food. Uh, and these are people they, who paid yeah. into the system for their own retirement. Public servants. Yeah. Public servants who dedicated their life to working, uh, you know, working for, for the greater good of the public, yeah. and, and somehow they're being penalized. Um, Meanwhile, if they had had made the exact same amount of money in 
various different private sector jobs, their social security would be there, whatever re- they retired exactly. and saved for would be there. Exactly. So, so let's, let's, you know, and, and you mentioned uh, Garrett Graves, uh, <laughs> yeah. my congressman actually, uh, and, and, and his work with it. And Garrett has always been a, a strong supporter, great guy, uh, yeah. you know, a great, good friend, but, uh, but, Working with his office, let's talk about a strategy. Here yeah. we are uh, in a new Congress and, and trying to trying to come up with a strategy that's going to move. And, and obviously, look, we, we've got some good traction. Um, we're at 170, and our goal is to get it at to that 290 as quick as we can. Yep. Um, working with Gary, let's talk a little bit about that strategy uh, on how do we get to that 290 as quick as we can. So the, the basic strategy is we did a lot of work. Uh, last Congress. And so thanks to your organization, many other advocacy organizations um, and every person, and, and this is what we're doing internally, but certainly any of your listeners, if you are a member of Congress sponsored this bill, co-sponsored this bill last Congress, uh, you know, it, things are busy on Capitol Hill. Sometimes you miss things. Uh, don't, don't be worried that perhaps they've reversed their position. They probably have missed, you know, one of the many, many emails that we've sent out about it and the different discussion points. So if your member of Congress sponsored it last time, get them back on it. Um, and, and, uh, if your member of Congress retired and is no longer here, their replacement needs to know about this incredibly important piece of legislation. Um, and, and I would say, you know, there's so many different things happening on Capitol Hill day by day, minute by minute. And so frankly, just having the conversation or writing a letter or calling an office and saying, you know, I hope that when you learn about what WEP and GPO uh, are, when you learn about the Social Security Fairness Act, you will join, you know, just like the 305 members of Congress last year, you will join this as a co-sponsor. And so getting that number up quickly is important. And the advocacy of people talking about the real stories. And, you know, there's many members of Congress who themselves have been public servants um, in in various different ways, and many members of Congress haven't. And so, you know, sometimes even just making sure someone understands how their family is impacted because they chose a career uh, as a public servant uh, is, is important, that personal, personal story. That's it. We need to personalize all of it. Yeah. So let's so let's talk about that two ninety. We reach two ninety yeah. uh, next week. <laughs> I like your okay. I like your. Uh, <laughs> so, so we reach. I won't even call it optimism because it's a totally realistic goal. Well, they were yeah. there last time, so it's yeah. three hundred five. I, I realize we have some new members of Congress, but um, but they should all support it's, it. It's achievable. <laughs> oh, hundred percent. So our goal is 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 to get to that two ninety. What then? I mean, what's what's different between now and the end of last session, other than a little more time? Um, you know, and this is a question and Garrett and I have talked about this and this is where I just want to continue to compliment him because, you know, depending upon who's in the majority, that's the the person who's the chair of, of certain committees versus ranking members. And right now, you know, Garrett's a Republican, I'm the Democrat, uh, leading this effort and, and Garrett's already been doing the work with the relevant committee chairs to say, this is an absolute priority. And so, um, you know, I, I think he's taking the right tact and making sure that, um, when we get to that 290, right, we, we it went to committee and that was a kind of a, a halting mechanism last time, right. this time it needs to come to the floor. Yeah. Um, and so in terms of the advocacy there, when we get to that 290 at a minimum, and let's say we do it by the end of March, which is a totally realistic goal, um, that gives us many months to say, okay, we've reached this 290. There is a time frame 
that you must move forward. And you'll recall, and we don't need to bore everybody with it, but there was some gamesmanship trying well, to. But I, think, I think our <laughs> listeners and viewers yeah. need to understand that, yeah, that, what okay. happened last time. What, what derailed last time? Because these are the things we don't want to duplicate this time. So last time we basically got it under the wire, like right, right under the wire, time frame wise. And there was an effort to basically say, eh, timed out, the clock's run out. We're not going to be able to move on this. And Rodney Davis and I, uh, and so many advocacy yeah. organizations, FOP included, really just lost it and said, yeah. you guys are absolutely. And so thank you for participating. We did a, a press conference to basically just say like these efforts to stall what have we followed the rules, right? The retirees a, did it when they paid into a, social security. The like, and we've now done it. We've met right. this 290 and you're moving the goalpost. You're not bringing for a vote. Um, and so that's how we ultimately got that um, movement in committee, but it was at the end um, of the Congress and it, it, we weren't able to get it to a vote um, moving much faster this time. Um, getting to the 290, let's again say by the end of March, gives us, I mean, one, according to the rules, we have to have it move forward in committee. We have to have it move forward to the floor. And so, you know, even if scheduling the committee hearing takes a little bit of time, we still have, you know, at least a year and a half to get it brought for a vote. Now we want, we need to give ourselves time for the Senate to take action. Exactly. Importantly. I mean, and it's, 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 yeah. it's worth pointing out that uh, although we, we made some real milestones mm-hmm. in the house, we still had a, a real heavy lift to try and get it past anything in, in, in a Senate. We just don't have the, uh, the, the momentum that we have in a house. So you're right. That extra time was needed. And I dream of the day when we pass it in the house. And I want to see that happens before the end of this calendar year. And I think we can, you know, if, if we're moving on the timeline that we should be able to move on, um, we can easily, you know, knock on wood. And this is my level of optimism, but it's going to take a heck of a lot of hard work. Um, we can get it passed in the house. You know, I mean, if they brought it for a vote tomorrow, it would pass in the house, right? Like it's not about getting people convinced. It's actually just getting it to the floor. Once it passes in the house, uh, the idea that there would be a piece of legislation that would pass the house, let's say if we had 305 co-sponsors and, you know, for your listeners, you know, I vote for plenty of bills that I never co-sponsor, right? Co-sponsorship right. is an added level of commitment to a piece of legislation. Right. It's, I like this bill as it is, just as it is, and I'm putting my name to it, which is yeah. different from I'm given the binary choice of vote for this piece of legislation or against this piece of legislation. I might tweak it myself if I were writing it this way or that way, but my job is to vote yay or nay. Um, and so the fact that we had 305 people not just you know, not just say, oh yeah, I'd vote, I'd vote yes for that, but actually put their name to it is extraordinary. And the idea that we could have a bill that would pass, let's say, let's say 305 people vote for it. How does the United States Senate in the face of retired teachers, retired firefighters, retired police officers, retired federal employees, not take up a bill that would fix this this issue that is just basic fairness for so many people who have served their communities or their countries. Yeah. Yeah. Or our country. No doubt. So let's, let's shift gears a little bit. So, so that's fine. We get, we get it, we get it passed. <laughs> yes. We get it past the house. Uh, we move over to the Senate. I, you know, we know that last year there was a lot of uh, variables. I mean, look, every time, uh, you know, we play a game of football, every time we touch the ball, we hope to make a touchdown, but sometimes we kick field goals. Um, and so there are, there are some discussions 
of different variations on how to how to fix this. And I don't I don't like them. I'll tell you why because I don't I don't think they fix the problem. What they do is they recognize the problem, give a partial fix. That's not fair to the people who are not who who are not. If it's wrong, it's wrong. Yeah. It's not a little wrong. It's a lot of wrong. It, you know, it's either fix it or or what, why. But but there is discussions about different variations on how to address this. Do they have three hundred and five or one hundred seventy seven? They don't. They, they don't. But but yeah. but they all what they yeah. may have is enough to slow the thing down. That's right. Um, so what are your thoughts on on you know I, I've always you know felt like what I don't want to do is negotiate against myself. Yeah. You know I know that this needs to be fixed. It needs to be fixed completely. Uh, but there are discussions out there for partial fixes. What? Well, and how there's, are they a, in place? there's one piece of legislation, for example, that would fix this for five years. Yeah. Okay. So we've now recognized a problem, yeah. but we're only going to fix it for five years. And then five years down the road, it goes right back. It goes right back. Yeah. That's not yeah. fair. No, it, not you've, at all. You've That's recognized, kicking a can down it's the kicking road. The can, you recognize a problem, but you're only willing to fix it for a short period of time. Um, and that bill has a, a lot more of a comprehensive approach to, um, kind of trying to secure the long-term longevity of social security, which in, you know, I absolutely appreciate respect, um, in, in principle. However, the idea that, you know, debate over this far more comprehensive piece of legislation that again, only does a tiny short-term fix to the weapon GPO problem. Um, well, we could debate that piece of legislation for months and months and years and years. Why are we going to attach social security fairness or a five-year version of it to a piece of legislation that is wholly, wholly uh, something where there's not a lot of agreement and, and, you know, not even unanimous support on, you know, among Democrats or among Republicans. It's, um, and, and I think, you know, strategically, I think there was an effort to say, and obviously not by me, but to say, well, weapon GPO, you know, making these changes makes a lot of sense. So this is, this is what'll bring more members to the table on this larger change to social security. And in fact, it just bogged down the conversation and it, it made weapon GPO adjustments or eliminations, um, just kind of part of this really confusing conversation related to social security when this is a really straightforward, um, easy issue again, from my perspective, but last Congress, 304 people agreed with me. And so far 176 do yeah, yeah. <laughs> this Congress. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about the political gamesmanship yeah. going on in, 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 you know, in, in Washington right now. Uh, there's a, a battle going back and forth about, uh, hurting the social security system yeah. on both parties. Um, how does that, affect us. I, I, my members often ask me, so I heard the president give his, you know, state of union and, and talking about not, uh, not hurting social security system. I listened to the leaders in the house say, we're not going to hurt social security. Um, how does our issue fit into, to this, uh, back and forth dialogue of who's hurting social security? Yeah. Do we become a victim of the political gamesmanship? So I think there's that risk. Um, but I, my honest assessment is not, necessarily and not likely. And, and certainly we've seen um, uh, some folks, particularly on the Senate, say that they want to, you know, gut Social Security completely, do away with it completely. Um, well, in that case, yeah. <laughs> I guess eliminating the windfall elimination provision in GPO offset don't really matter. Do it. Right. <laughs> um, so there's a bit of an, you know, there's obviously a, a significant argument of just the very basics of should, you know, of, of the fact that there are people who want to do away with social security. Um, and that's, that's a real opinion that exists among some lawmakers. 
Um, and I, honest assessment, and I could be wrong, I imagine if and when Social Security fairness comes to the floor of the Senate, those folks will probably be opposed. But reality is we don't need their votes. Um, but the, in the larger conversation about the long-term sustainability and viability of Social Security, uh, you know, there are, we have to have earnest conversations about what actions can we take to ensure that it exists you know, w when I choose to retire, when my kids retire, when my grandchildren retire, um, you know, years, years into the future. But that's a different discussion than whether or not a retiree who paid into Social Security is allowed to actually withdraw the money that had they actually just had a different career, right? they would be eligible to have. It's not we want this group of people to get more than they should be eligible for, or we want special treatment. It's literally, if you are a retired teacher and you could get less yeah. than your friend, your neighbor down the street, who is, you know, a retired banker. And that's, that's the issue of it. So as long as social security fairness doesn't get wrapped up in this, well, if we're going to talk about social security fairness, we have to talk about all things social security. That's the risk that exists because once we're talking about, you know, comprehensively looking at this incredibly vital program, that's a very long conversation. Right. Um, and keeping the Social Security Fairness Act, the windfall elimination provision, um, and the government pension offset issues on their own, I think is the way to move forward. Um, because it matters. And it matters to people who are retired right now. As, mm. as you well know, they're your yeah. members. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. What do, we, what do you say to, to those members of the committee last time that uh, did testimony, you know, gave their testimony during, during the uh, committee hearing where they identified the problem, supported our concerns, but at the same time talked about bankrupting, bankrupting the, the Social Security system because of this provision? If the sustainability of social security is only kind of safeguarded by unfairly treating Thank you. retired public servants, Thank you. then we have a bigger problem to contend with. And, you know, frankly, if anyone's assertion is, you know, taking dollars out of the pockets of retired police officers, retired firefighters, retired teachers, retired federal employees, retired Capitol police officers, right? right is the way that we create viability for this incredibly vital program, then that is not a long-term strategy yeah. um, uh, that is is gonna safeguard this vital program. So, you know, hats off to people who want to say this program needs to be protected, it needs to be strengthened into the future, but do not do it on the backs of public servants. Thank you. And it is penny, like, is it, it is a consequential amount of money for a retiree who's kind of struggling to pay bills and pay medication and you know, survive in retirement. Um, but it is an inconsequential amount of money when it comes to kind of the long-term trajectory of social security. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, we're not looking for a handout. No, it's literally money they paid into the That's system. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so, so what other law enforcement uh, bills do you see coming uh, on a horizon uh, that we could, you know, 
We should pick Pamela Well, Aubrey. I would like to celebrate one bit of success that we yeah. had. Yeah. Um, the Wally Bunker Helps Act, Correct. which yes. we've talked about before. Um, this is a pretty straight provision that might impact uh, many of your members. And this is this is one of those examples. Anybody listening, if you are facing a challenge, tell your member of Congress because it might be that there's actually just, you know, a, a hole in the law that they could fix. Example being, I have a tremendous uh, advocate of a constituent named Wally Bunker. He's a retired police officer. And he came to me uh, and my team and said, you know, there's this crazy provision in the law. I retired from a small police department. My police department's pension is done through a third party provider. You know, I'm supposed to be able to use my own retiring re retirement dollars tax free to pay my health care. But I can't do that. I said, what? What is this? And so we looked into it. And indeed, you can, by current law, $3,000, you can use tax-free to pay for your health care. Well, that tax-free benefit matters when you're retired and living on a fixed right. income. Well, that's if the pension pays directly to the retiree. Well, a lot of smaller departments across Virginia, across many other states, use a third-party entity to do the disbursements. So it looks as though the pension is paying this third party and it looks like, and I'll use Wally as the example, that Wally's receiving money from this entity, not his pension. And that eliminated the ability to have it be tax-free. Yeah. Well, so the intent was these retiree dollars can be used for their health uh, insurance, but yet because of this one little blip, yeah. We he couldn't use it, so we finally um, got that through. Uh, it was signed into law in December. Right. Uh, that now, regardless of how your pension is administered, you have access uh, the ability to have that th the three thousand uh, dollars, you know, pre tax money to uh, or tax free money to be able to pay your health care. Now yeah. the next step on that. So we were successful there. Very excited, but reality is. You know, when that law was first put into place, things have changed. Premiums have gone up. Things are tougher. So we're trying to change that tax-free amount from $3,000 to $6,000. Right. We've already fixed the glitch uh, that was impacting Wally and so many other retirees. Uh, but now we're just trying to ensure that it's it's their money. And it right. is a you know, benefit to have it tax-free. But if you're using that to pay for your health care to keep yourself healthy yeah. uh, in retirement... I think that's a pretty solid, solid use of those dollars. So Absolutely. we're working to move that forward. Um, it's, uh, it's a kind of weedsy policy issue, but it matters. It matters to a lot of people. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and, and all you have to do is, uh, as you know, listen to the frustration of so many people impacted by, by these provisions and, and, and try to wrap your head around why these, these glitches can't be fixed. They're, they're clearly deficits in the system. And I was meeting with, a. uh, one, the largest police department in the seventh district last week and met with the chief and many of their, uh, uh, their leadership. And you're just talking about the challenges that they're facing, talking about, you know, the successes that they're having, you know, the highs and lows that exist in a, a job where you see the kind of the best of a community. And at times the very worst of the community and you see things that, you know, at the end of the day, you just want to go home and hug your kids um, and so the fact that there are so many folks who day to day are doing an extraordinary job, keeping our community safe, um, and that they have to even think for a minute whether or not money they pay into social security is going to be there or, you know, dollars that they can use for their health care in retirement is going to be there. You know, I, I 
for those who are retired, I'm so sorry that many of them are impacted by these issues. We're working on it. But, you know, the the people who you know, were like out in the early days of COVID, right? Like the 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 people who are so incredibly um, you know, who who their families are impacted, their lives are um, you know, ones of service. We want to get this fixed before any of you know, before this next generation of folks retire and and are kind of waging the same sort of, you know, calls to their members of Congress and letters to their members of Congress about basic issues of fairness. Well, well it's great to have you, uh, to, to work with you on this issue. And I love your passion on it. It's, <laughs> this, is, this is something that we really need to, to get traction. We wouldn't be where we are today if it wouldn't be for your for your help. Uh, you. That 305 uh, co-sponsors, what a, what a, what a great uh, milestone we reached. And, and uh, if it had not been for COVID, I'm confident we'd have had it two years ago. Yeah. Uh, but but COVID really st- it really impacted our ability to to get in front of members of Congress and, and talk about this issue in a way that was more personal than yeah. it was to sit in front of a monitor and, and uh, uh, Zoom. So thank you for your hard work. One more time, what do our listeners and viewers need to do to help us get past the crowd? You finish that line, get to the 290, and also work it in the Senate. So, uh, you know, the majority of your listeners surely live in a congressional district where their member of Congress has previously been supportive. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can go to a website called congress.gov and check to see whether or not um, uh, your member of Congress is supportive of this legislation, has already signed on as a co-sponsor, or make it easy on yourself, just call their office and say, have you already co-sponsored the Social Security Fairness Act? Um, and, you know, making sure that we get back to that, that yeah. people have already signed their name to it, get them back on and for new members do a lot of education. So I just want to emphasize the value of personal stories. Uh, that's certainly what started me on my good path to k- really caring and advocating for this issue. Um, so, you know, write it down or make a, make a phone call and tell someone the story of how the, you know, the GPO or the WEP impacts, um, somebody who devoted their career and and themselves to public service, how it's impacting them now in their retirement. Yeah. Great. Great. And if somebody wants to know more about you, what's the, you know, uh, I'm Abigail Spanberger. Um, Spanberger is, uh, is an easy thing. Even if you just spell it wrong, you'll find your way to me, but it's spanberger.house.gov. Great. And, uh, that's uh, where we have certainly a lot of information about the Social Security Fairness Act uh, and information about the other things that we're working on. So um, further details about that, press releases about the Social Security Fairness Act uh, can all be found there. Well, great. Again, thank you for all of your hard work. And, and it's, it's been a pleasure working with you. Thank you so uh, much. And, and building that, 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 that excitement. You, you do a great job at it. And, and to our viewers uh, and listeners uh, back home, thank you for tuning in to The Blue View, where we talk about the issues that are so vitally important to men and women in law enforcement who suit up and show up every day and go out and protect their communities. Thank you. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else to get your podcasts. To get the latest from the National FOP, make sure to follow us on Twitter and Facebook at GLFOP and on Instagram at FOP National. Thanks again. We'll see you next time.